Well, really, chapter 17 of Numbers really really is connected with the preceding chapters. It's really connected with chapters 16 and 15. You remember last time, uh, last week, when we were looking at chapters 15 and 16, it was the rebellion. It was Korah and his rebellions, Dathan and Byram. They said, who are you, Moses, and who are you, Aaron, to you know, lead the people of the Lord and who you think you guys are. And, you know, the Lord speaks to us too. And we're, you know, we're, we're just as good as you guys. And who do you think you are? And, you know, you're not any better, any different than the rest of us. And, you know, we don't need to listen to you, you know, besides you're supposed to bring us in the promised land and you didn't. We're stuck out here in this lousy desert now. And, And, and so they just had this rebellion against them. And you might remember that's where we left off. And, and of course, in one sense, that was true. I mean, Moses and Aaron weren't any different as far as people than, than anybody else. They, they were just people. That's true. But, you know, their, their whole deal was and their rebellion was, you know, we can lead, we can teach, we can pastor, we can do a better job uh, at this or at that than they can. And, you know, why, why is it them? Why can't it be us? You know, and, you know, look at, they're not doing a good job here and we could do a better job at this. And, you know, there was all this rebellion and all this talk and all this, we're not going to do it and we're not going to follow you and we're just, we could lead. And, and you remember, um, uh, the point was clearly made by the Lord. It, it, none of that really matters. It's not a matter of what you think or I think or Moses thinks or Aaron thinks or, Korah thinks or Dathan and Abiram thinks or anybody thinks. It had nothing to do with any of that. It's what God ordained. That's what the Lord wanted Moses to do. That's what God wanted Aaron to do. That's what he wanted Korah to do and his followers to do. He had all given them things to do. He'd give them gifts, abilities, and called them to do those things. And it really didn't matter what anybody thought or what they felt like, even if they felt they could do a better job or, or this or that or whatever. God had called them to do that. And when they had rebelled, they hadn't really rebelled so much about against anybody but the Lord. And you remember the ground opened up and <laughs> swallowed up Korah and his rebelling. You know, all those people that didn't want to listen to the Lord and covered him over. And fire came out from the tabernacle and burned up all those guys that had their 250 guys that were, you know, God had given them places to minister in the tabernacle. They were to carry the ark and the the table of showbread and the altar of the incense and the all the furnishings, that was their job. I mean, they had an important job to set it up, make sure the people could worship, make sure everything was there, and they didn't like all that. And they rebelled, we're just as good as them, we could do that. You know, we want this and that. And, well, um, after all that and those people had died and all that, remember the next day, <laughs> the people came Who are you, Moses and Aaron? You killed all those people. I, I, just, I have a hard time imagining that in chapter 16. The next day they came and complained some more. And then remember the plague broke out and they started dying. I mean, literally people are lined up there by the thousands to complain and mad as a hornet to Aaron and Moses that those people had rebelled against the Lord had died and they just start dropping dead. And Aaron and Moses pray to the Lord and Moses says, Aaron, hey, take this incense and stand in the gap between these people, offer this, you know, so the plague will stop. And Aaron, this, you know, 80, I don't know how old he is now at this point, whatever, you know, 90, 100-year-old guy runs out there and, you know, it stops there and the plague stops, you know, in the gap between the living and the dead. And and um, and it, we kind of ended off in chapter 16 there. 
And, you know, you thought the people would have learned after the first few things that they didn't. And so chapter 17 really falls in as a result of those things, um, kind of falls in with that. And and, and so God was going to make sure here, listen, there's no, I want you to be clear that this is what I've ordained. And that's what he's showing through this kind of short little chapter, this miraculous work that he does here. So let's look at it in verse one of chapter 17 of Numbers. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and get from them rods from each of each father's house, all their leaders, according to their father's families, 12 rods. Remember, Jacob had 12 sons or Israel. You know, God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. So you can call him either one of them. He's referred to in both ways in the Bible. So there's 12 boys he had. So each one of those leaders came from one of those 12 sons. They could follow their, their genealogy back. Their great-great-great-grandfather was one of those guys. So 12 of those sticks, 12 of those rods, and write each man's name on his rod. And you shall write Aaron's name on the, on the rod of Levi. So one of those 12 boys, his name was Levi. And for uh, there shall be one rod for the head of each of the father's house. Verse 4. And you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And then you shall, uh, and then there shall be that the rod of, of the man whom I choose will blossom. And thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel and each of their leaders gave him a piece, a rod apiece for each leader, according to the father's houses, 12 rods and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now, I don't know how they look like exactly, but maybe, you know, you might picture them something like this, 12 sticks, 12 walking sticks. Maybe they were the 12 walking sticks of these leaders. Maybe they were just 12 sticks that they got and they carved their names on them. But the bottom line was, just remember this, they were just 12 pieces of wood. Okay, there were just 12 branches that they had, or there were 12 walking sticks that these guys had made. Uh, there were just dead pieces of wood that they had had. And, and they carved their family lineage, the father, you know, their great, great, great grandfather, however far back they traced him back, you know, Levi, you know, the 12, one of the 12 boys, you know, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Nephi, Judah, Joseph, Judah, ben, anyway, all those guys, right? And, Those names are carved on there. They handed the 12 rods, these, these dead pieces of wood. Basically, it could be firewood, right? I mean, there didn't have to be anything special or pretty or anything. But basically, God said, listen, I'm going to end this once and for all. Give me 12 pieces of wood. I don't care. Give me 12 rods. You find them. They're walking sticks. He didn't describe them. You write the names on there. You put them before me where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's the idea here. And I'm going to show you, whichever one comes to life, I'm just going to give you this miraculous sign that that's who I have chosen. So there's just, I'm going to put an end to this argument. Now, personally, I, I would have thought the argument would have ended when the ground opened up, swallowed up the rebellion people, you know, all of a sudden they go down in this, you know, hole, it closes back over, and I don't know, I think I would have been it for me. I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but <laughs> I would have kind of thought about it. Or, you know, when the fire come out from the Lord and kill those people that argued against it, eh, that a pretty good sign for me. Third one, when the plague started coming out and they didn't like it either, and they started just dropping dead like flies, that probably would have done it for me too. But God chooses to make sure there's none of this anymore. He doesn't want to hear this anymore. 
Uh, and so he said, I'll, I'll choose one and I'm going to bring a dead stick, basically, to life. Put him before me in the morning, you're going to get him. Verse eight. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went, verse eight tells us, into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. And then Moses brought out the rods before from before the Lord to all the children of Israel and they looked and each man took his rod. So Moses in the morning gathers these things, gather these these sticks and Aaron's stick had budded. And that's where they got the slogan at first this buds for you. Sorry, Marty. I get that from Marty. <laughs> it had budded, right? It had blossomed. Not only had it had it budded, you know, forth. You know, if you, you go around my neighborhood, there's a bunch of those um, um, cherry trees, and they're all in blossom over there. They're all coming out. They look beautiful right now, and they had sprouted. And not only had they had sprouted blossoms and budded out, but they had also yielded rob. Uh, I said yielded fruit, ripe ripe almonds. I were there. Now this picture kind of shows it on the end. I personally believe that it that it was just like this stick was just full of branches and blossoms and fruit all over the place. I mean, I, I think it was probably an amazing sight to see. All the other wood were just pieces of stick, and then Aaron's with his name on it had all this fruit there. You know, he brought it to life. This entire process of budding and producing almonds had occurred in a single evening from a dead stick of of wood bringing it to life and i think that's just a a wonderful thing to remember it was just in a beautiful and abundance and god just had this thing so fruitful and just saying you know i i'm just making it so close and now sure when i do a work and this is the call i'm going to make it very fruitful And I think, again, I think this is a, a pretty uh, good picture of this budding of the rod is a beautiful picture of the resurrection. You know, uh, God delivered, declared, you know, Jesus is his son and he was the only priest God accepts. There's no other priesthood. There was one way he accepted one way. The resurrection was one way. The crucifixion, I should say, and then the resurrection was one way. It doesn't matter how many other people are involved or how many other great names or there was Gandhi or there was this Buddha or this, you know, whatever the Dalai Lama or whatever, you know, how sincere or how other nice people are all this, you know, they're rejected. There was one way. There was 12 rods and the guy said, this is the way, this is the way I've made it. I've sprouted. I've showed you that I'm using the line of Aaron. And of course, Uh, there was obviously that was pointing to the greater high priest Jesus Christ making one final sacrifice and making one way to heaven. Uh, there could have been chosen twelve ways, twelve rods could have budded, but he said there was one way. I think it's a great picture we could spend some time looking at as well. That there was just one way. He said, "Listen, I'm, I'm making it very clear. I've made a way. I've chosen this way. This is how you're going to come before me in worship. I've chosen Aaron and his family to be the line of priests to come to me because I'm working through this priesthood to show you the sins and then finally how I'm going to do it through the Messiah as we'll learn later on. And I've made that way. And so I think, again, it's another 
beautiful picture of ultimately being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So they come out in the morning. Here's this beautifully blooded, budded, and fruitful stick. Well, let's see what the people say. Verse 10, And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony. That's the ark, you know, the ark of the covenant. Remember, the ark of the covenant is about the size of this podium here, or the size of the pulpit, right? It's, it's not very big. Um, and to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord commanded him, so he did. Verse 12, so the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? Now, I don't know about you, but it sounds a little bit confusing there at the end. You know, what's really going on here? Well, first of all, God says, listen, Aaron, I mean Moses, I want you to take this beautifully budded stick And I want you to place it in the, by the Ark of the Testimony and probably eventually in the Ark of the Testimony where that jar of manna was and the Ten Commandments were kept. I want that to be a sign. If there's any other question, I want that constantly be there. If anybody ever questions uh, what I've done, I want you to take it out and say, this is proof that I have, this is the way I've made it. Okay, you might think you're better, you might think you're smarter, you might think you could do a better, do a good job here, and it should change this way, and you don't like it this way, and you think it should be done this way. I've made a way, this is the way I've done it, here you go. I want you to be reminded, so if anybody has a different thought, you can hold this up. And again, uh, you know, I, I want... I want people to see this. And it seems like by there, I want you to keep it here. So if there's any question in the future, in future generations, it'll be very clear. And I, and I find the people in verse 12, they said, surely we die, we'll perish. We'll all perish. Whoever comes near the Lord is going to die. We're going to utterly all die. And I find it interesting that the plague or the opening of the ground didn't have the same effect on on people as this stick budding. It must have been amazing to see. And I think that's why this thing was probably more amazing than we can describe it or these pictures can give it justice. Maybe the the, the, the stick that he used uh, wasn't even from an almond tree, first off. Maybe it was like some, you know, stick from some half a tumbleweed or something, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But this was a miraculous thing where the ground opening up didn't really shake shake them that much the plague didn't really knock them off their feet the fire coming out from the lord burning the guys of rebellion didn't but when they saw this this budded rod it it, it kind of really threw them so i know we kind of look at it and go okay budded rod oh that was kind of cool but man if i had saw the ground open up swallow people and then close back over again i would have been blown away you know or if i saw fire come out from the lord and burn these guys to a crisp that would have been awesome but for some reason this one thing with the The buttered stick, these guys thought, man, if we come near the Lord, we're all dead. We, we got to fall in line here. So it, I can't describe it anything more because I don't know how to describe it anymore. But these guys, obviously, when they saw it, they they were amazed by it. And basically, any person they understood who heeded um, God without him uh, ordaining him or calling him would realize that the penalty would be death. They got it now. God's called these people, Aaron's line to do this. These guys are called to be priests. Anybody else that shows up there is going to die. I mean, they got it. 
Maybe it was just the last thing they, they needed. I, I don't know. I, I can't tell you anything more than what we've read right here. But he instructed who approaches him and how they could atone for sins. And and so, you know, at this point, it put put it all to rest here. And God says, listen, I want it very clear. The way I want to do it is the way I want to do it. Uh, and I, I want to make that very, very clear throughout all the generations. And I think that's so true to remember now today because some people just get in the habit of, you know, second-guessing, and this is the way it should be done, and this way should we do things, and this is the way we should, um, you know, I could do it better, and this and that, and then, you know, that's why churches get in divisions and splits and get angry with people, and it just, it's, the church becomes so dysfunctional because they're getting mad at somebody, and I think we should do it this way, and well, if you're not going to do it this way, I'm just going to go someplace, I'm going to pick up my toys and go someplace else, because you're not doing it the way I want to do. And it's the same thing going on. I mean, people are the same as they were back then. And um, some good lessons to learn here. Uh, it's amazing how churches can be torn up, and people's lives, you know, tossed around because of the same kind of attitude. Trust me, we're going to get to God holding the leaders accountable. That, that's coming. <laughs> Don't think that they are like, whoop here and everybody else, you know, kowtow to them. That's God's got a lot to say about them here in a little bit. But he's addressing these guys right now, saying, get it straight. I've called them. This is what the places I've put them. And if they don't do something right, I'll take care of it. And that's not your job. Or if you think you can do better or you think is it whatever, it's not your job to do that. You're not your job to all do all this stuff. Leave it to me. I'll take care of it. And we'll see that he does take care of it, especially when we get to chapter 20. In fact, Moses and Aaron were allowed to be going in the wrong because they misrepresent God one time. Out of all those years, they misrepresent God once. Can't go in. God, God takes care, knows what to do. Anyway, so that kind of ends that whole little section here. And, and now uh, chapter 18. Now, let's remember, because remember, we left off with them going to Kadesh Barnea. They wanted to go in the promised land. They said, no, God wanted them to go. They didn't go. He said, nope, you're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. So that whole generation dies off, everybody 20 years and older. And these stories that we're reading, these five or so chapters, happen sometime in the 40 years. It doesn't give us dates when they exactly happen, but they happen in the 40 years. Um, so that's all we know. You just really know when they happen, if they happen right right away, happen a little later on, or if they're mixed up. So this is the, all we know that they that happened in the 40 years. Um, so, And then we'll get to them going back in with the next generation. Not much details given, but chapter 18, uh, after all that happened and the rebellion seven times and the question of authority, then the Lord clearly shows Aaron, yes, you were chosen sovereignly by me, but now he's going to speak to Aaron directly this is by the way the only the se- only this is the second time uh, uh only the second time that that the lord spoke directly to aaron most of the time he spoke directly to moses this is the second recorded time that god spoke directly to aaron now he, he addressed all the congregation hey aaron's my man i'm using him and his descendants to be the high priest Everybody else has other jobs too, but his jobs are special in a, in a, in a way. They represent me to the people and, and the people to, uh, coming to me, to the Lord, and I have a special place for him. So, And he made that very clear to all the people. Now he's going to make some things very clear to Aaron here. 
you have this special place, Aaron, but let me make your job and your responsibility very clear as well. So this is what he did, and he speaks directly to him. Again, this is the second time that he spoke directly to him. So verse 18, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house uh, with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with the priesthood. Now those are some really important lines there, I think. Some really important words. Yes, you're chosen, Aaron, but with that comes responsibility. You are to make sure things are right and done and done as I have commanded. You have responsibility. Yeah, you have a high calling, and yes, I've called you that, but that means with that calling comes responsibility. You have responsibility to take care of your sons and this whole priesthood and all this thing goes down. You you've got a calling, but you have responsibility with that. It's kind of like with us, you guys. You know, uh, you we have responsibility to live the Christian life. You know, we can't blame. Well, my parents did this, or my, you know, my environment was this, or I grew up in this way, or this would happen, or this would happen, or this, and all this pressure, and I grew up, you know, all these things, and this happened, and this person did this to me. You know, we have to own our responsibility, right? We have to we have to own stuff, our lives and decisions we make. And, and yes, things have happened that are bad and had influences. I'm, I'm not discounting that, but we have responsibility. And then we also have responsibility for our families, I, you know, the, God gives everybody a free will, but there is some responsibility that we all need to take within our families and those that are closest to us, those we have an influence over. We can't duck that. We can't say, well, I told them that's their fault. That, you know, from whatever. I, I, I give, well, I wash my hands of the whole thing. We can't be like Pilate. Well, you guys want to do it. I don't think it's right, but I wash my hands of it. You know, we can't do that. Aaron couldn't do that. And really, we have a, responsibility for sin in the church to a degree as well we all have a responsibility to these things and and a certain degree of responsibility now everybody's got a a freedom but you know as priests in the new testament that's what we're called you know we're we're priests we have a certain responsibility as well we can't ever well i told them and kind of wash my hands of it but again you know this is the thing god's saying to aaron You can't look at what happened among the Levites and have, well, they're doing those things and it's wrong, but you know, I have a holier-than-thou attitude. No, you can't walk above it and think, oh, that's their problem and you know, that's their deal. It's not, I'm the priest. It's not my deal. No, you got to you you got some responsibility there, and you need to own up to that. So I'm putting you as responsible. So yeah, you got the authority, and yeah, I've called you, but you got some responsibility. And verse two, and also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi and the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. So you know everybody's going to be there. You you got to help everybody out. You got to part in all this. Got some responsibility in all this. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle. But you shall not. Uh, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the altar, lest they die. They and you also. So if you don't do your job, if you're if you're not ministering, if you're not careful, if you're not involved, if you're not in the middle of it, you know they, they, harm could come to them and to you. 
See, they will be joined with you and attend the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle. But an outsider should not come near to you. So you got to yeah, they're, they're supposed to help out, but you can't let anybody else come in because that's not their responsibility. I've called the Levites to help out. But, you know, a guy from over there just off the street. No, he he doesn't know all that what's God called them to do. So you got to watch out for that as well. You know, you got to you got to keep your eyes and ears and you have responsibility for them as well. And verse five, and you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary, the duties of the altar, that there may be no wrath on the children of Israel. What? See, see Aaron, you got you got a, a calling. Yes, I had your red, your uh, the rod bud showing everybody that I've called you to this great position. But, you know, you you if you do what I've called you to do and you, you follow the calling, you know, it's going to be a blessing to everybody. But if you kind of drop your responsibility and kind of go south you know it's going to hurt everybody you know it, uh, it's going to cause problems in the whole nation so you, you yeah you just can't go yeah i'm the man i'm the man i'm the man look at me i got a title high priest high priest it says right here holiness to the lord you know let me wear my thing around yeah 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 you know i'll put my name on the sign of the front of the church You know, the Reverend Most Holy, you know, what? I'm oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Some churches do that. I always kind of get a big crack up with that. You know, they have this big title, three-letter, you know, the Reverend Senior, whatever, something, you know. Like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't go there. I mean, it's not bad, but it, I always think it's kind of funny. Like, is it really that important who the... Anyway, anyway, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Some people probably not like that. But who's the... Pa- anyway... You know, but he's saying you, you got responsibility for all this. And you, you, you not, it's not about having your name up on lights and people loving you. It's about you, you got to worry about. You got to worry about the whole nation. Now, obviously, you can't control everybody's sins and everything, but you know, your heart has got to be. If you do what you're supposed to do, and what I've called you to do, it's going to help everybody. And and remember, if you don't, it's gonna it's gonna cause problems with everybody. That's and that, that's got some truth in our lives too. You know, if we do what's right, it's going to bless those closest to us. Certainly, we're going to be a good influence. They're going to see good things, and they're going to want to know more of the Lord. And then we're going to be a blessing at work. We're going to be blessing with our neighbors. We're going to be blessing, you know, with those around us. And it's going to be a great and wonderful, you know, light shining and salt being, you know, salted in in the earth. It's going to be a great thing for everybody. Now, some people are going to reject that. We can't control that, but we've done everything we're called to do. And we'll be a blessing. And how people don't, you know, well, obviously we can't make a decision for everybody because that's not our job. But we, but our job is to, we can have a big influence in that. We can make a big wake and, and try to draw people by light and salt. And you know all that. And so he says that. So I, I've taken, verse 6, uh, Behold, my, I myself have, ma- have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given, to, given by the Lord, to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. So I've given you a lot of help. And therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil you shall serve. So there's a lot of work to do. I understand that. There's certain things they can do and there's certain things you have to do. I have given you the priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who come near shall be put to death. In other words, there's certain things only you can do. Not anybody can do it. Everything will die if that happens. And they were limited to what they could do. Of course, that's what bothered Korah, right? 
He didn't like the idea that that there were some limitations on what he could do. He thought, I should be able to do everything. I should be able to go behind that veil, that curtain. I should be able to be do all the things the high priest. Why should I be limited? And he didn't like that. And of course, you know, God said, that's not what I've called you to do. And he said, well, I don't care what you call me. I'm going to do what I you know, want to do, basically, at the end of the day. And that's what he didn't like. But remember, with privilege and response comes responsibility. Now, usually people want one without the other, right? They usually want the privilege, but they don't want the responsibility, i.e. our children, right? (laughs) They want the privilege, but they don't want the responsibility. I say, okay, you know, I'll trust you if you do this. I'll let you watch TV for another 15 minutes if after 15 minutes you take the trash out. Has that ever happened in my house once? Never once. (laughs) Never once in 15 minutes has the trash been taken out if I ever give them. So... Does a privilege happen anymore? Nope, not till the responsibility comes into play. But the same thing is true with us, right? You, you know, a lot of times we want the we want the privilege of this and that or what we think is privilege, but well, I don't really want the responsibility. And I, I don't want that. I don't want people calling me, doing this, hearing this, I'm wanting that, I'm doing all, all, all that grunt work. No, I don't, that's not for me. Thank you very much. Um, I want the privilege, right? Uh, you know... So, God's reminding him, hey, you get the privilege, but there's responsibility here. Now, verses 8, basically all the way down through 19, just remind Aaron, uh, he tells him again, all the, the blessings that he has planned for him. Basically, the children of Israel would bring the best of what they have. Remember, when they were to give their offerings and their tithes and their free will gifts, if they just wanted to bless the Lord and, and things they were supposed to bring and things that they wanted to bring, they were always supposed to bring the best. Not the leftovers. Oh yeah, these jeans, they got some holes in it and you know, they're not too good. The t-shirt's kind of ripped up and you know, you know, like, you know, I think I'll just give those away. You know, I, that'd be great. Somebody could really use those. You're a swell guy. <laughs> you know that? How about giving away the new stuff and keeping the old stuff? Nobody ever thinks about that, right? The Lord said, that's what I want, though. You keep the old stuff. It looks good on you anyway. It's broken in, right? You give the new stuff away. And that's what the Lord's basically saying. Listen, I want the best because I'm not some, you know, uh, I don't want the leftovers. It shows you that that's the value of how you think of things with me. Not, not that we can't give you stuff away. Don't misunderstand me. Of course we can. But... You know, we can't be all magnanimous, like, oh, here it is, look what I've given, you know. <laughs> um, I was going to say my opinion about something, but it is my opinion, so I better watch my opinions because it's just not any more important than anybody else's opinion. But, you know, the bottom line, they were supposed to bring goods, the best, the best of the best. And the Lord reminds them in verses 8 through 19, which we've read a number of times already, Hey, I'm going to give you the best. If you want to look, um, uh, verse nine, the most holy things are supposed to be reserved for you, offered by fire. Every grain offering, every sin offering, the tres- the holy must be, it shall be given to you. Also, the heave offering in verse eleven shall be yours. Verse twelve, the best of all the oil, the best of the new wine, the best of the grain, their first fruits which they offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. It says at the end of verse thirteen, uh, whatever first. Ripe fruit is in their hand, which they bring to the Lord shall be yours. Every, everybody clean your house shall make it. He just tells, hey, they're going to bring the best to you. It's going to be yours. It's going to be this great abundance here. And the Lord reminds the priest that he's going to take care of him. 
and their livelihood, how they will live is by the work of the ministry of God. You are not going to to work like everybody else. You're not going to have a job like everybody else. Uh, every offering that was not burned up on the altar, a uh, part of that would be food for the priests. So e- basically everything that wasn't burned up on the offering actually would be food for the priests or for the Levites and, and the priests. That was their support. That's how they survived. And God reminds them, listen, I'm going to bless the people. Their their responsibility, I've called them to do, is to, to bring it to me. But what I'm going to do with what's brought to me is give it to you. And that's your support. And he reminds them in verse 20, he says, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in the land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among them, children of Israel. So again, he just says, you're not going to make a living like everybody else. It's all going to come from me. So what the people give to me is going to go to you. I, I, I'm going to get I'm going to give it to you. That's the promise I've made. So they're going to bring in this and, and, and some of it's going to be burned up. Absolutely. And then and then some of it's going to be given to to all those people that are going to be serving there alongside of you and to you and to their families and to support them because they're not going to be working jobs. But that's what we'd say today. Obviously, in those days, they'd be raising animals or growing crops or both or all that kind of stuff. And so you don't have any inheritance uh, and all that like the rest of people. You're, you're going to live in a special way. That's a lot of faith, living in a lot of ways. And um, it's a, a blessed privilege, but it was also a blessed faith. You know, I, I, I honestly, all the years I've been a pastor, I've never been paid full time. I've always worked. So I, I don't even know what that's like. <laughs> But I've been around long enough and I've known people and, you know, churches I've been in over the years where I've seen, you know, budgets go up and down. And I, uh, you know, uh, and missionaries, uh, especially, that's probably the biggest one, you know, where, you know, people will give and then they won't give. And then they give and they won't give and they're having money and then they don't have any money. I mean, that's a t- that's, you know, that that's that's what they were up to. I mean, you read when we get through the history of the, the nation, when the people stop giving and care less about the Lord, you know, the Levites had a real tough time, man. I mean, they would starve and have difficult times because people weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that hurt them. And of course, it hurt the nation. It was this big round mess. But. You know, it's amazing how many how many missionaries have to come back in the field because they just can't make it. And particularly it's bad for a missionary because missionaries usually have missionary visas and they don't allow them to work in those foreign countries because they're not there to work. They're there to be missionaries. So they don't give them a work visa so they can't work. So they depend 100% on support. And, uh, you know, it's a difficult thing. And Or even churches, you know, with go up and go down and usually I, every place I've ever seen or been involved with or been on the board with and you know what it is is all here's all the expenses for the church well we got to pay them well what's left well we got this much left guess guess who gets what's left the pastor so if his salary was five hundred dollars a month and there's only 250 left not that anybody could live on five hundred dollars a month but you get the idea let's say it's five hundred dollars a month And there's only $250 left. Well, guess who gets $250? The pastor, because all the other bills get paid first. And, um, you know, again, blessing. Love to have your name out in the sign, right? But 
<laughs> there's a you know, there's a responsibility on the other end of that too. People like the name on the side, but I don't know. Anyway, but point of it is, God said, "I'm going to take this is what I'm going to you know give it through, and this is what I'm going to do." And uh, so you're you're going to trust, you're going to live, and I'm going to have you live on what's been given to me. Uh, one last thing in verse 20, I like to point out just as a different uh, a different thing to remember because there's some churches, and it's still kind of a doctrine that kind of squeaks through the church today. It was bigger years ago, but still there. But remember, like the priests, believers today have no promised inheritance in this world. Believers today are promised an inheritance in a future kingdom in heaven. We're not promised an inheritance here on earth. Because people think, well, you know, if I just speak enough faith, if I just uh, talk enough faith, then I'll be rich and I'll be healthy and I'll be everything will be going okay. God's never promised that here for us believers in the new covenant. Um, in fact, if you read through the New Testament, you need to read a lot of people died, godly men and women um, beheaded and thrown in jail and <laughs> all sorts of stuff. So obviously that's not the case. Uh, I remember our inheritance is in heaven. And so, you know, listen, none of us are ever going to be rich, wealthy and all that kind of stuff down here because our inheritance is in heaven. So we don't look for inheritance down here. It's in heaven. And uh, I think it's a good example of that as well, or a good illustration of that, I should say. And finally, uh, uh, you know, real quick on the last part of this chapter, something we've talked about before, but verses 21 through the end of the chapter 32, uh, I would ask you the question. So, okay, so all the tithes and the offerings all go in to the temple or the tabernacle, depending on when it was, but tabernacle this time, free will offerings, gifts. Here's the donations to the Lord, all of it, whatever it was, their tithes, every third year, they'd bring this in. It was this holiday. They'd bring this in. If they had a newborn animal, they would bring that. And you know, all the whole deal, all those things they were supposed to bring in. It was far more than 10%, by the way, they would bring all this in. So they go. So now here, the Levites and the priests had this, they lived on this and that. Well, what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to give? Do the Levites give? Do the priests give? Are they supposed to tithe? What are they supposed to do with what they receive from those gifts? Well, verses 21 through verses 32 tell us very clearly they were supposed to give as well. And um, verse 21 says, Behold, I have given the children of Israel, the children of Levi, all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meaning. And again, he tells them, don't come. Um, uh, you know, only certain people can come. Not everybody can come through the generations. Um, but they are supposed to, and I'll just sum it up here. The Levites are supposed to now, when they collect everything in, uh, they're supposed to, verses 28 tells us and 29 tells us, um, Verse 30, therefore, when you sh uh, shall say to them, when you have lifted up the best of it, the rest of it shall be accounted for to the Levites, lest the produce of the threshing floor as a produce of the, lime press, uh, of the wine press. So basically, what they're supposed to do when they get those gifts and, and they're given that food uh, to live on, because that's pretty much what it was, then they're supposed to take the best of what they receive, the best of it, and give a tenth of it really to, to the priests for their support. 
And, and then they're in turn supposed to give. So everybody, the bottom line is everybody is supposed to give the best of what they get from whatever source it is, whether it's the people working in the field and this is what their harvest is or this is what their animals are or whatever it is that comes off their fruit trees or whatever they're getting or having or whatever it is. They give the best to the Lord. Those people that receive that, they in turn give the best, in this case, to the priests or the priests, and then they in turn, uh, uh, they give the, the best to the Lord and it's offered at that way. Uh, and some of it would go in the storehouses maybe to use for expenses and so forth. Um, and some of it just be given away or burned up or so forth. But um, everybody was supposed to give. That, that's the important principle. Still an important principle today because some Christians get the idea, well, because I serve the Lord, that's that's good enough. You know, there's probably pastors and leaders and elders that think, well, you know, because I, I serve and I work and I do this and I'm involved in that and I spend time helping out this way or, or putting this together or fixing this or spending hours doing this thing. That's my that's my giving, that's my offering. Well, no, all these guys were working hard and, and doing a lot of work and putting a lot of time in and, and they all still give. And that's really a, a principle throughout really the scripture, not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament. It's just really the blessing of of being able to be a part and being a giver. The Lord wants all of us to be a giver. It doesn't matter what what place the Lord's called us to be in or what giftings or place He's called us to be in any kind of ministry. Um, it's not about, we're all called to serve. We've all been given gifts. We all put time and effort and energy into whatever ministry and calling He's given us to. But that doesn't mean, um, and, and then we're still givers. And that's pretty much what it says there. Um, and that hasn't changed. It's an, it's an important principle. Because uh, then we start doing this, let's make a deal with God. Well, I put in an hour here, or I fixed a door over there, or I helped out a little old lady across the street, so that's got to be worth 20 bucks, doesn't it? I don't know. People come up with some funny things. And and um, if you start having to count pennies with the Lord, you, know, you sit down and probably start rethinking, um, how generous do you want the Lord to be with you? Uh, we kind of lose sight of that sometimes. You want them to start counting like that? Well, I think I'll be generous with your health like that. You know that old knee that was hasn't been bothering you for years? Let's do that, <laughs> or that back, or that headache, or what you know, or whatever that jaw raise. Or <laughs> we don't want, you know, not that God does that to us because He's God, but still, He wants us to be like Him. He's generous all the time. Well, one last unusual thing in chapter 19, and again, it's pretty short, and it's completely different. And if you grew up like I did and watched in the 70s Monty Python, it said, now for something completely different. <laughs> That's where you would inject this here. Sorry, I probably shouldn't use that. That's not a good example. But we come to one of the most interesting places, really, uh, in the Old Testament, if not the most interesting place in the Old Testament offerings, because... This is, and I don't know if you could really call it an offering, because it's not really an offering, but it's, um, uh, well, it's an old, I, I, it's an Old Testament um, purification law that involves this, uh, uh, the sacrifice of an animal that's way out of sync with everything else. But it's very important. And um, it, it's called the offering, really, or the purification, the offering of the red heifer. And it's most unusual. So, first of all, look where we are. 
Because remember, we got the laws of purification and offering animals and doing all this stuff way back. I mean, it's been, we don't know when this was actually written. I have a feeling it's not too much longer after they went out of, they didn't go into the promised land, they're heading into the desert. But I don't know that for sure. I have my reasons why, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But it's been a couple years. I mean, God had instructed the priest way back in Leviticus. Why didn't he throw this way back then? Why is this sticking way out in the middle of nowhere? I mean, this is a year or two years later. I mean, the temple's been, or the tabernacle's been going, the sacrifices have been going, everything's been kind of cranking up and going for a long time now. And why in the world would you put this here? It's very unusual. And again, it's called this offering uh, of this red heifer. And it's uh, uh, in a very unusual place. And let's look at it briefly and we'll, we'll wind it up here. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses. Numbers 19.1 says, And Aaron saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. And you shall give it to Eleazar the priest that he may take it outside the camp and it shall be slaughtered before him. Okay, so this is an ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded them. Now, this is the first time, by the way, that a female animal is supposed to be used. Everything else has been a male animal to this point. Okay, second of all, this animal is to be offered in a sense or slaughtered, if you would, I guess, probably more accurately, not by the temple or the, ta- or I should say, the tabernacle anywhere. Remember, all the other animals, when they were putting them and preparing them, were all done before the, the altar, the burnt offer, uh, the, the bronze altar, I should say, there in front of the tabernacle. And they had a place to do them all. And everything to do with, with the worship and the service of the Lord was, was, was done right there. This was done outside the camp. This was a female, and this was a red heifer, so a red female cow, basically, without a defect, And the next thing is, notice that the priest doesn't do the slaughtering. He just watches. Now, normally the priest would be involved in all this. So, very kind of unusual thing here. And verse 4 says, And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of it, some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight its hide its flesh its blood and its offal shall be burned that means basically the whole deal nothing's nothing's cut out or cut open and the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire burning the heifer then the priest shall wash his clothes he shall bathe in water and afterward he shall come into the camp and the priest shall be unclean until evening And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. So so when the animal is slaughtered now, some of the blood is supposed to be captured. Now, Eleazar, the priest, is supposed to take a little bit and walk over back into the camp, you know, with a tabernacle and do seven times in front of the tabernacle. I get in the presence of God, um, sprinkling before the presence of God, which they would do in a number of sacrifices there you know, identifying that this is before the Lord. And then um, then the the, the, the the big cow would be burned up, little Bessie there, she would be burned up there, 
everything there. They would put, now they would add wood, the special, it would be cedar wood. They would put hyssop and, and they would also put red, um, you know, scarlet thread in there as well, or scarlet and put that in there and it burned as well. And notice when they did this, the priest would be unclean. That is the only time the priest would be unclean performing his duties. All the other sacrifices, all the other things that they did, they would never become unclean doing their duties. They wouldn't be unclean. All the other things they did, nothing would be unclean. This was very, very different. He would be unclean in performing his actual duties here. The only time. So why is this very different work? Why is this so different, you say? Well, let's read it. I think it tells us here. Verse 9, Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. So they're to take these ashes, and we'll see exactly how that works here in a minute, but they're used to purify them for the sin they're going to be exposed to now that they're going into this desert life, and from then on as well, but particularly for this desert life. They need to have some extra or some you know, very clear instruction on this purifying Because of that turn, I believe, away from Kadesh Barnea and because of the millions of people that would be dying as a result of that. And, and we'll read about that in a minute. And verse 10 says, And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifers shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. This is a statue forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. Verse 11, He who touches the dead body... Of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever does, whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. Now, don't get lost on this because I think this is a real important thing here. So, if you have come in contact with a, with the dead, you need to be purified. If not, that was it. You had a pack sand, you were done, leave family, leave home, leave whatever, wherever you were living, wherever it was in the land, you know, if it was when they were traveling in the wilderness, when they got into the land, I mean, that was it. You had to, you had to go move to Egypt or Timbuktu or wherever, that was it. You touched it and you didn't go through the purification, you could not be there. That was it. You were gone and you had to do this. So why is the Lord doing this? He, he's saying, if you touch the dead body, you had to purify yourself with this water, and we'll see it was mixed with this ash, on the third and the seventh day, and you would be unclean for seven days. Now, back to our story here, particularly at this time. Remember God said, you didn't believe me at Canaan Barnea, you didn't want to go into the promised land, you thought you were going to die, the giants were too much, you couldn't do it, I wasn't strong enough to overcome that. So you're going to wander around in the wilderness, so those that are 20 years old and above, 
those who said there's no way we can go in, that whole generation is going to die off. It's going to be about a 40-year death march. And when they're all gone, that all those people that are 20 years old and above die, then I'll round two. I'll let the younger next generation go in. So that was about a 40-year process. So depending how many people there were, there was probably about a million, a million and a half people that were going to have to die in that 38, 40-year period of time. That's over a hundred people a day dying in that group. Can you imagine that over the next 40 years? What does that mean? Death was going to be all around those people every day for years and years and years to come. You know, uh, I've been around death. Uh, I've seen death. And what did that death point to again? Remember, every time somebody keeled over and died of that generation, uh, it was sin, rebellion. Uh, they didn't believe God. And that was the result of it. It was death. They chose not to trust God. There was no faith. They didn't believe him. And so it, it's death. And, and when there's death around and there's rebellion and there's sin, you need to be washed. I was around it. It was there. I touched it. I need to be cleansed. You know, these guys are dropping like flies because of the rebellion. And, and that death is around me. And I realize that that's rubbing off on me. I need to be cleansed. So God was saying, guys, you see, you're around this. And you're around all this death and this representation of the sin and the rebellion that's involved. And you're going to be touching it. And it's going to be around you. And I want you to understand that you need to understand you need to be cleansed. You need to be purified. You need to take a step back. You need to recognize this. You need to recognize death. And you need to recognize what it is. And you need to understand that you need to be cleansed from that. And you don't want to have that attitude. And you don't want to fall into that pattern. And you want to be involved in that stuff. I want you to know that. You need to step back, take a week off, go through this, recognize that you need to be washed. I need to be cleansed. I realize I'm around sin. I'm, I know the rebellion in my own heart. I understand the sin that lies within me. I need to be washed. I need to be cleansed. I need to take a time out here. And it wasn't only if you just touched the people, because that was part of it, but read verse 14. And, and, and this is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. So notice this too, you don't even have to touch it. If you happen to be visiting over in friends and old, you know, uh, you know, Auntie May is over in the corner over there and you guys are just hanging around there having a gun, you're not involved in any of that and she just keels over, guess what? You are there. You're in the middle of it. You don't have to touch it. You just have to be around it. And if you're around it, it affects you too. I, I want you to recognize that, you, you know, you don't have to be participating in it, but when you're around it, It affects you too, and you have to be cleansed and purified and realize that maybe you weren't in the midst of it, but you were around it, so it's going to affect you too. And I think it's a great picture to tell people that we know and that we love and younger kids and kids that we know and our children, and we need to remember to ourselves, you know, who we spend time around with affects us. And we might say, yeah, but I'm not really doing it. They're doing it, but I'm not doing it. But you know what? You're in the same room. You're around those people that are, you may not be doing it, but you're around them. And that, that, that that's going to affect you. That's going to affect you. You understand that? Just like 
yeah, you did, you know, you didn't touch the body, but they, it's going to affect you. That's what God's saying here. I even tell that to my kids, you know, kids don't watch TV, at least in my household. It's not an issue with them watching TV because they never turn on the TV. But you know what they like to turn on? It's YouTube. They like to watch these dumb, I should, sorry, I should say dumb because I call them, I think they're, some of them are just like little family videos from other families that are posted on there, little gymnastic things. Anastasia's into watching cake decoration and stuff and Ethan watches different things. But they, they just love YouTube. I mean, they just, they would watch YouTube for hours. I, I, It would drive me nuts. The commercials alone drive me insane. But that's this generation. That's a whole other topic. But, you know, what I'm always telling them is that, you know, even I said, what you watch means that you're participating in those things in a way, even though you're not making the video and you might not be in the middle of the video because obviously you're not. But when you watch it, you're participating in that. So if you're not watching something good, even though well, I'm not doing it, Dad, I didn't say those words and I'm not doing those things, but you're participating in it. You see, you're you're in the tent, and there's death in the tent, and you're watching it. That means you're participating in it. And I say, you, you know, you, you got to be careful. And God says, when you're, in the, you got to wash, you got to clean yourself, and get away from that stuff anymore. Sit a week out, be clean. You know, things aren't to be normal. You now you get to sit aside a week. Go get the stuff sprinkled on you. The third day and the seventh. You got to do it because if you don't, man, you, you can't even be around anybody. You, you just that's it for you. You got to get out of the USA, you know, and and and, and you know, things aren't going to be normal for you. I want that very clear. And I thought that was a very clear picture. I think in the middle, kind of stuck in the middle of numbers, if you would, um, telling them that there's death and sin all around you and you need to be cleansed. And then he goes on to saying. You know, um, if there's an open vessel or something that is unclean, um, and it tells him in verse 16, if somebody's slain by a sword or has died or touched a grave, or you know they're unclean as well. Um, verse 17, and if an unclean person, uh, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin and put under water, running water and shall be put in a vessel, put them in a vessel, and a, a clean person shall take the hyssop and dip it in water, sprinkle on the tents and all the vessels and on the persons who were there, or on the one who touched a bone or a slain or a dead or a grave. And that person shall sprinkle the unclean, the, uh, sprinkle the unclean on the third and the seventh day. And on the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water, and at the evening be clean. Now, interesting enough, notice that it wasn't the priest that had to do this. Any person who was clean, who who wasn't around the death, who wasn't involved in any of that, could do that. He could get some of these ashes, and it probably was just a little bit, take some running water, put over the hyssop, and, and just, okay, here's the stuff that was dead. As long as he was clean, he could do that. Now, once he did that, he had to clean himself too, and was unclean just to the night. But any clean person could do it. It didn't have to be the priest. Anybody could do it. That was pretty good. Somebody that wasn't wasn't involved in all that death. Hey, they could help you out. Let me let me help you know wash you with this word. Let me help you you know purify. Let me let me get let me help you through all this. It was it was a, a it was a pretty neat picture I think here. And the warning God says, listen, you, you can't just hang around the camp if you don't if you don't do this. Verse twenty: the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among assembly, because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. And the water of the purification is not sprinkled on him. He is unclean. It shall be a perpetual statue for them. 
He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes, and he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean till evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and whatever the person who touches it shall be unclean till evening. So again, if you were uh, doing that and you were clean and you were sprinkling another person that was unclean, then you were unclean through through the evening, but you could do it. You didn't have to be the priest. And of course, again, this is, a, I think, a great picture of Jesus, and I don't have time to look at it all, but, you know, we could look at him on the cross and the wood and paying the price for their sin and the scarlet, and, and then, you know, uh, the hyssop being offered up to him and, you know, paying for our sins. And I think Hebrews, well, there's a red heifer, by the way. Um, that's a real red heifer, uh, although I don't think he's the exact one because... They, I think they can't have more than four white hairs. They've been trying to. Um, they say there's, it depends who you listen to. They say there's only in the history, they've only needed seven. Some some Jewish historians say there's only been nine red heifers throughout the whole history of, from this red heifer all the way down till um, the temple was burned, only seven or nine of them. So they don't need them very often. We could go on talking about the red heifer for weeks, trust me. There's books that read about this, but... Um, Let me close with this because this is the this is what's really important here in Hebrews chapter nine, talking about this sacrifice. It says, "When Christ came, he did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer. Well, we just read that, sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they are." outwardly clean which is talking exactly about what we just talked about how much more then will the blood of christ whom through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to god cleanse our conscience from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living god and amen we have jesus christ who cleanses not just the outward like they were after seven days but well cleans well everything right gives us new life amen let's pray father we do thank you for this time lord that we get reminded of all these things and though boy three very different topics tonight really from um uh you know this red heifer to aaron's priesthood um offerings and to a butted piece of wood lord um so important lord Uh, that you've preserved them for us, Lord. We thank you for all the wonderful applications that you've given us, Lord. And we just love you and thank you. Bless your people, Father. Fill them and lead them, Lord. We thank you for your love, your provision, your word, Lord. Now, again, Father, just, again, use us and lead us and keep our eyes focused on you, Lord. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.